for each, each one of us, each generation of us, he'll address the issue that govern our lives. And we are helpless to escape some of those issues, that feeling of never being good enough. He offers us a revolution. He offers us the change of a government in our lives. And for those who will let it happen, and I don't mean for Christians, I mean for those who will let it happen, because not all Christians do let that revelation, revolution happen in their lives. The change of government will address our insecurity and our greed and our fear and our rejection and our ambition and our lust and our loss and our pride and our shame. And he'll take all of those things and many others that I haven't named and he'll replace them with freedom, with freedom. And I can say that because I know that I am one of the freest people I know. And I know that's because he took so many of those things. Each one of those things he asked me for. Rejection, Bev. Well, I've given him rejection a million times. But finally, it hardly has a place to take in my life. So, you know, this morning we were singing about um, that God asks for room in our hearts. And that's what I want to talk about. I felt really, well, okay, I'm on the right track because that's what I want to talk about. It's impossible to imagine now, but there was a time when humanity was flawless, living in perfection. And then they made a deal with the devil and that enabled them to be self-determining. So what that meant was they chose on behalf of us to decide the difference between good and evil themselves. How's that working for you? It, it, it isn't work well for me. And so within a very short time, the planet that had been created in all its magnificence, and we still see bits of that, just careered wildly out of control. And as a result of their choices, they had to leave behind this stunningly beautiful world that God had fashioned for them where there were no tears, no angry voices raised, no silent treatment, no drought, no flooding, where laughter rang through the hills and where joy was the norm. And there was no reset button. So there was no going back to what used to be. Humanity fell pell-mell into such imbalance that within one generation, one brother murdered his brother. Within one generation of coming out of that place of perfection, People began to beat those who loved them. Humans were bought and sold and violated and animals and the earth that was placed in our care would be abused and destroyed to make money or for fun. Humankind went off course and we have all been irrevocably affected. And I know for my generation, I'm looking at this generation and, and I would feel terrible shame at what we're handing on to you. Just dreadful sense of, of loss because you will not see what we saw. Because we, I lived in a time when if somebody ever got murdered, it was on the front page because it never happened. And where there was hardly an earthquake or any, any issue like that where people weren't rioting. And for you, it's just the norm. 
And then came the incarnation. That means that God came in flesh and blood. In fact, the the message um, translation of the Bible says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighbourhood. So like Adam and Eve, Jesus left this world of absolute perfection. He moved into a squat, squalid, fetid slum, which is what the earth became, which is what people made of the beautiful creation that he made. And his arrival was shockingly, dis- shockingly domestic because he wasn't born in a mansion among the rich and powerful. He didn't have electricity and hot and cold running water. He wasn't a celebrity. There was no warm, soft blankets to wrap around him. In fact, for his entire 33 years, he never even visited the important people in the town, people that everybody else thought was important. God positioned himself not in a palace but in a family. And you know what that's like. You know, the, the new creation began in the confines of siblings and parents. And you know what that's like. The way that he chose to become one of us meant that the people he came to save, which was all the billions of people that lived and still continue to be born, were entirely oblivious to the fact that God was engaging with them on their own terms. So our ordinary humanity was the place that he chose to meet with us. Now, our celebrity culture means that we just love to be seen and we love to be acknowledged, but he began his work in a manger and he continued it through 30 long years of ordinariness, of hiddenness, unknown to anyone except the people in the town who knew him as the carpenter's son and the illegitimate son that was the proof of his mother's sin. That's what he was known as. Those obscure years where he was growing as a human are part of our salvation because our humanity doesn't make it more difficult to relate with Jesus. It's what we have in common with Jesus. Can you imagine the jarring change for him? In order to reset humanity's clock, to bring back our right to come freely into the perfect presence of God, he had to come to a place that was totally the opposite of everything that he knew, a place where people screamed at each other and abused and violated each other, used each other, where the dirt gets in your eyes and in your nose, where hay fever and cancer and disease is normal. The perfect left the place of perfection and allowed himself to be muddied and bloodied and torn and broken so that we could be free of our muddied, bloodied, torn brokenness and live in the freedom that can only come from him. It's amazing. Now, repeatedly, the devil tried to make a deal with him like he did back there in the garden with Eve But you see, Jesus isn't a deal-making God. There's only one way for him. He came to restore balance. And that means the saving of humanity, not just to the lives of the people who were good enough, who gave enough, strong enough, rich enough, smart enough, but to any life that could see and hear what he was holding out to them. He came into places of abuse and suffering and the obscenities of wealth 
and the obscenities of poverty. Because the filth of unrighteousness and the filth of self-righteousness are equally tragic to the only one who is righteous. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The only reason we walked into righteousness is because of what Jesus has done for us. So he brought balance by bestowing the astonishing gift of undeserved righteousness to anybody who would receive it. Receive it the day they found it. Receive it again and again throughout their lives. Receive it again today. Because we're so prone to thinking, oh, Jesus gave me righteous back that day in 1973 when I got saved. Jesus gave me my righteousness. But you know, as we get more and more used to what it is to walk as a Christian and be a Christian, we don't even realise it, but we unconsciously start to congratulate ourselves for how righteous we are and how good we are and how much better we're doing than those people over there. And we smug and we're self-satisfied and we don't even know that. We forget that that's tipping us over into the other side and we still need the righteousness of Christ Jesus. So the balance we crave can't be found in how well we behave and it can't be found in how good other people think we are. It can only be found in the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, not just five years ago or 15 years ago or 50 years ago when we first came into relationship with him, but today, now, because now is the time we need it most. Now, Christmas isn't a biblical word. You're not going to find it in the Bible. It's a made-up word like most of our words. It's made up of two words, Christ, we understand Christ, and Mass. And Mass isn't just about what Catholic people do when they go to church. Mass means celebration. Christ's celebration is Christmas. The Christ celebration for ordinary people like you and me who have given up trying to be righteous enough Good enough, rich enough, strong enough, capable enough, caring enough, spiritual enough and are learning to walk in the freedom that only Jesus can bring. The celebration that Christ is enough. It's a celebration. He's enough. And anyone who gets that and to the degree that we get it, we become freer and freer from the imbalance of a world that's telling us all the time, we are not enough. You are not enough. We get it all the time. And we can say easily and freely, you're right. I'm not enough. But Christ is enough. And he made up the difference. And that's all I have to be concerned about. Now, at the beginning of his life, and again at the end of it, Jesus went looking for a room. He went looking for space. The first space he found was in a manger. And at the very end of his life, he sent his disciples out and he said to them, Go into this place and ask them if we can use their room. You know, he's still saying, can I use your room? Have you got room for me? Is there room in your heart? At that time, it was geographical, but now it's in our hearts. And he's looking for as much space as we give him. So now in my early years as a Christian, I gave him very little. I sort of opened the front door and I was like, yep, uh, The lounge room's reasonably clean. You can come in and sit down in here, but like nowhere else, mate. And and that was all I gave him. I gave him that. And I had a whole lot of other things that I hadn't worked out and hadn't dealt with. It took decades 
and pain and heartaches and challenges for me to say, okay, you can come into my study. You can come into my bedroom. You can come into the bathroom. You can come into the kids' rooms. It took, it took so, it's taken me, I just turned 68. I've been a Christian since I was 22. I want to tell you, it's taken me years and years to say, okay, you can have that as well. Okay, you can have my ambition. Okay, you can have my need to control people. Okay, you can have my fear of not having enough. Okay, it's taken me years. I'm not there yet. I'm still saying to the Lord, you know, can you help me, Lord? I want to, you know, I don't want to hold anything back. I don't want to keep anything from you and think that you're interfering. See, the real estate of our hearts is of great value to Jesus Christ. He laid down his life to purchase our hearts and our lives, but he won't snatch them from us. He wants us to give them because he surrendered his life to purchase us, but he wants to say, okay, here it is. And the truth of the celebration of Christmas, the Christ celebration in our hearts, lies in the blood, sweat and tears of surrendered hearts that lay down the things we long for. Because the presence of Jesus in that place in my heart is alive and well and I want it to thrive. And that revelation deals so well with the smugness that so often afflicts us as Christians. We don't even know we're smug. Isn't smug a horrible word? Now Santa Claus knows that. Santa Claus was never the old fat guy in the red suit, like who gives presents to good kids, which makes you think the good kids seem to come from the better off families and the not good kids come from the families who can't afford to buy a whole lot of stuff, right? So that's pretty horrible to start with. But that Santa, this Santa came out of a Coca-Cola ad in the 1930s. The real Santa Claus is a guy known as St. Nicholas. And he was a third century kid whose mum and dad, I know he looks pretty mean there, but he seems to, uh, he sounds like a dude to me. Like, you know, his mum and dad had died of the plague and he was given to his uncle, who was a monk, to live in a monastery. And he got brought up in a monastery and he loved the Lord. He learned to love the Lord. And from a very young age, he became a theologian. He became the Bishop of um, uh, Myra in Turkey. And um, he was a great theologian. The thing I liked about him is the fact that, you know, he wasn't gentle and jolly. Like he punched another theologian in the face for speaking heretically. And I'm like, that's cool. Um, But this is where we get the legend from, right? This is, I mean, this is a cool story. Like he's got a lot of money because his parents uh, were rich, but he doesn't want a lot of money because he's not motivated by money. It's really good not to be motivated by money because there's nothing wrong with money in itself. But the Bible says the love of money, that's the root of all evil. I don't know if I'm going to make that 11 minutes and six seconds, but anyway. And so he's got this money and he hears about, and he's giving it away as fast as he can. And he hears about these three girls whose dad is so deeply in debt that there's no, um, there's no dowry for them and they're going to be sex trafficked into prostitution because there's no money for them for a dowry. And so he gets three bags of gold and he throws them down their chimneys and the legend is that they land in the stockings of the girls that were hanging up um, to dry. You know, that sounds sort of a bit far-fetched, but anyway, it sounds great. And so there's this thing about it. I The thing I love about that is because this is a guy 
who love Jesus Christ, finding out a way to be the incarnation of Jesus Christ, which is God in the flesh, which any of us can be because He's in us, how to be that incarnation of Jesus Christ, where He lived and where He worked, making mercy and bringing justice to people who didn't have a whole lot of either. Now, I love um, Charles Dickens' story, A Christmas Carol. And the thing that irritates me about that is the fact that it has been dumbed down to become a children's story. But it it never was a children's story. Charles Dickens was writing an indictment on the wealth of the society in those days that didn't care about the poor. It was everything Charles Dickens ever wrote was actually a social justice statement. And so um, it's about a society that being Christian forgot to celebrate the Christ in their hearts. Now, I always shudder when I get to the part where the ghost of the Christmas present is there. Does anybody know what I'm talking about, the ghost of the Christmas present? Anybody know this story? There's enough people not saying anything. So it's cool. And, and there's, a, uh, there's a whole lot of, of iterations of the, of the movies. But this one that I'm going to show this clip out of is from 1983 or 1984, about when you were born. And um, it's a great clip. Now, this, the story so far is about this old Scroogey guy who doesn't care about anything else except money. And then his mate dies, the guy he was in partnership with. And so then... Three ghosts come to him overnight and they talk about his past and they talk about the present and they talk about the future. And so this particular uh, quote comes uh, from the, the ghost of the Christmas present. Now the ghost of the Christmas present, you know, he's jolly and he's fat and he's got a big beard and he's got lots of food everywhere and there's Christmas tree is everywhere and, and it's just, you know, and then he just exposes what's underneath that particular thing. But he makes a quote. So for those of you who don't know about it, he makes he requotes something that Scrooge said himself at the beginning of the story when a couple of guys come to Scrooge and say, would you contribute to a place for the poor to live and a, and a place for them to eat? And Scrooge says no. And they were like, but they've got nowhere to go. And he says, are there no workhouses? Are there no prisons? Because he doesn't care and workhouses were terrible places that people went to in those days when they, when they had no money. And so, so I want you to watch this particular clip because, when, because it's really good. I'm sure that's not it. Oh, yes. Unseen. Their names are ignorance and want. Beware of them. For upon their brow is written the word doom. They spell the downfall of you and all who deny their existence. There no refuge, no resource. Are there no workhouses? Are there no prisons? 
cover them. I do not wish to see them. I thought as much. They are hidden. But they live. Oh, they live. Lovely Christmas movie, right? Just set the scene. When, when Scrooge finally understands the Christ Mass, the Christmas celebration, he says Christmas is in our hearts. I mean, for you guys who haven't watched that movie or read the book, like, really, you should. It's not in the lights or in the decorations that become increasingly more beautiful and cheaper every year thanks to the horrific working conditions of the people who make those decorations. It's not in the maxed out credit cards. It's not in the dread of hoping the family won't fight. Christ's Mass can only be real if it's celebrated in our hearts, bringing back what Jesus intended when he brought the revolution to our lives. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 and 7 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We hear that every Christmas, but listen to the next verse. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. It's the zeal of the Lord Almighty that will accomplish that. The sign of the kingdom of God being outworked is justice and righteousness. And may I add from other places, mercy as well. Justice and righteousness. It says that that is the zeal of God. That's the thing that God is absolutely passionate for. It doesn't say establish and upholding it with pure moral values. I want to tell you pure moral values are the least of it. They're what just should be normal for us. Pure, we, we, the church, have got so focused on pure moral values, which are absolutely vital, that we've forgotten about justice and mercy and righteousness. We've, just, we've forgotten the fact that he doesn't even mention there, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness forever. That's the zeal of God that's going to accomplish that. He already takes into account that we've done our best to stay morally righteous. The sign of the kingdom is justice and righteous. The kingdom has never been careful, conservative Christian values, which, by the way, to me, seem pretty obsessed with sex and not all that interested in a whole lot of other things. And you see what I mean when I, I say I'm talking to the church. This kingdom he will establish is about justice 
is about righteousness. When he reigns for all to see, what we will see will be justice and righteousness and mercy. And my heart is in pain that we have so many Christian radio and TV stations and churches and organisations all over the world preaching evangelism and blessing and rules and regulations and all round niceness, but we almost never hear anything about God's heart for justice, which was so intense that he allowed his son to die to bring us back into the balance of that. You know, the church needs to look at the fact that all across the world, there are young people particularly, and maybe a few old ones as well, rising up and saying, we need an answer. And the church continues to preach messages which, which don't even know that there's people on the streets. We, we've got to look at what's happening there. We're a voice. We're not an echo. We're, 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 a, we're called to be a, a prophetic sign to the world about how justice can be shown. We're called to live in a way that shows people that we're not overwhelmed with our own concerns and with our own, own conservative, lovely little lifestyle, but that it matters to us what's happening to people that we've never met. The great German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, this, this is great. He was, he, was, he was a guy who died in the Nazi regime, died for his faith because he believed in justice. And he says, Jesus comes in the form of a beggar, of the dissolute human child in ragged clothes. He confronts you in every person that you meet. As long as there are people Christ will walk the earth as your neighbour. Like, I don't know about you, but I, that frightens the life out of me because I know how often I can walk past people. Did you know that almost half of the 70 million refugees in the world today are children? Did you know that the figures say that 37,000 new people every day become refugees because of war or because of climate? Do you know that the homeless populations across Western nations are escalating so much. And do you know that the far the greatest increase in the homeless population is single women over 50? Do you know that more kids in the West are going to school without anything to eat? Do you know that Indigenous people of every nation are losing the battle to stay alive? Do you know that women and girls continue to be bought and sold and mutilated and killed by the people who are supposed to protect them? Do you know that when... This is a bit. Do you know that when the man who was bleeding and broken on the side of the road, naked and without any way to help himself, and who knows what religion he was, that it was the priest and the theologian that crossed the road and walked by on the other side? And do you know it was the Samaritan who came and helped the guy, took him home and looked after him? Are we leaving it all to the Samaritans? Do you know that God's heart for mercy combined with justice is so great that Jesus suffered death and torture so that we wouldn't have to? For unto us a child is born. All those years ago, before most of the religions of the world ever came into being, the word was unto us, all of us. All of us. But we divide ourselves into our categorizing us 
and them. But the child was born to all of us. Unto us, a child was born. And until we really know that, really grasp that we are nothing special, we're not a better class of human, we just had eyes and ears to see and hear and receive what God is doing and, and has done for us. But until we grasp that, we won't look for ways to establish the kingdom of justice and righteousness and the mercy that burns on his heart. Our mission, should we choose to accept it, and we have to choose it again every day, is to show Jesus Christ in such a real and tangible way that people who don't know the Christ mass yet can experience a revolution, can find their righteousness in him, just like we did all those years ago and this year and last week and today and now. Yes, he wants to restore balance, that's true and definite, but we as people need to spend some time asking him what that looks like. I love the fact that Naomi's family is all giving handmade gifts There's some credit cards that aren't going to get maxed out this year. You know, when he establishes this kingdom of his that he's so so zealous for, it's important that we're already in it, that that we don't get to that time when he's done that and he's established that kingdom. We're like, wow, that's new. I didn't really realise that meant us, but how cool. I'm getting in on that. And you will be able to get in on it. We will be able to get in it because we're Christian and, and we, we've, we've allowed to come into the presence of God. But wouldn't it be cool if we were already in it so that when he came and established it at that level, we're already there? Surely, I mean, we can't do everything, but surely we can do some things. We can't do everything, but there, if we would say to the Lord, what do you want me to do? I know that God would show It's easy to give money for a lot of us, not for everybody. It's easy maybe to give what you've got a lot of, but it's really maybe the time to say to the Lord, what are you saying? Look, all those kids on the street, millions of them, millions of them on the street, not just kids. Lord, should we just say, well, they should just go back to school or should we say, how can, you know, Is there something you want me to do in the process of that? Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of Lord God Almighty will accomplish this. I'm old. I'm tired. My body doesn't work as well as it ought to. But I'm asking God for the zeal. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I'm asking him for some of that zeal to make me able to get in the running so that when he's establishing this kingdom of justice and righteousness, that I'm already running. And so he doesn't have to stop and say, come on, Bev, I've been waiting for you. No, he's just like, great, join, jump on. It's fantastic. We need to ask him for, the, for his zeal for justice, not just for moral purity, not just for righteousness, not just to make sure that, you know, we never swear. You know, that's the beginning, the reality of the kingdom of God and of the Christ mass 
is that he's made such a difference in our hearts that we make a difference by incarnating him into every place that we go. And I, I want to put this to you. If you uh, are somebody that isn't in a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to tell you it's the easiest thing you ever did. And it's hard as well because you have to lay aside your pride and you have to lay aside your, your self-determination and say, Lord, I want to do it your way. Would you come and live in my heart? So is there anybody here? Maybe if we, everybody could close their eyes. Is there anybody here that's like, yeah, I, I, I want to be a Christian. I want to serve a God that cares about justice. If, if there is, please put your hand up. Because it's just about everybody in this room did that one day. And it made all the difference. Made all the difference. But it, but it made all the difference just to begin with. From then on, we walk it out day by day. So, Father, I thank you for the church of Jesus Christ, which is so beautiful, which displays your beauty in ways we don't even understand. Lord, that there are times when people look at church and they see you. Lord, we're so grateful for those times. I know there are times when people look at individual Christians and they see you. And we're so grateful for those times, Lord God, and we long for that to happen when people look and see me, whoever me is. Lord, we we all would love it to be that people would see Jesus in the way that we treat them. Lord, I pray that you would help us understand Christ Mass, the celebration of knowing that even though we're not enough, Jesus Christ is enough and enough is enough. And so, Father, I pray that as we go into this um, Christmas season, Lord, with all the ups and downs and sometimes there's stress and sometimes there's joy and, Lord, those things, sometimes there's just peace and sometimes there's a longing for peace. Lord, but in the midst of all of this, Lord, that you would preserve in our hearts the Christ Mass that we would give you room, that we would even use this opportunity and the things we're going through right now to let you come into another room of our lives and take possession of that real estate because it's so valuable to you and you will never mistreat it. And Father, I pray that that you will anoint us all with a new fresh oil for the new season that we're going into, that we would get greater understanding of what it is to run with you as you stand to uphold justice and mercy. Lord, I pray, let it be unto us according to your word in Jesus' name.